Hello and welcome to this Endo Life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an Endo Warrior and Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them i don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU which is buonline.co.uk and you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally, their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO or, you know, I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a flare with that supplement and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me sent me them when I when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called the Daily, and it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day. My blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that day, daily supplement. As you guys know, I I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down and it also ensures that you have healthy balanced hormones. It's, it's really, really key. And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balancing plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is 
built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece of blood sugar. If your blood sugar is resisting all of the strategies you're trying, that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body. So we need to work on that, work on your gut. And mine has improved mine has improved massively, but I still react much more um erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations. And I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, blood sugar is a huge piece to managing your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and period support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E. And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. So today's episode is with my tutor and world-renowned endometriosis expert, Dr. Jessica Drummond. Now, you may have heard of Dr. Jessica Drummond if you follow her work, if you trained with her, or if you just listen to this podcast, because I think this is, I don't know, the third or fourth time she's been on the podcast. But if you're not familiar with her work, Dr. Jessica Drummond is the founder and the CEO of the Integrated Women's Health Institute, where I trained. And she trains thousands of practitioners and also works with patients with endometriosis and chronic pelvic pain conditions. She is also the author of the incredible book, Outsmart Endometriosis, which if you haven't read by now, I really, really recommend it. Now, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that Jessica is actually hosting a free workshop called Outsmart Endometriosis, Six Strategies to Reclaim Your Life from Endo. And that is on October the 25th, so tomorrow, 2 p.m. EST. And it's free to sign up. I've put the link in the show notes and you can attend live or if you can't make it live, you can watch the replay. But to get the recording, you do need to be signed up so that she has your email to, (laughs) to send you the recording. So in today's interview, Jessica and I are continuing a conversation that we've been kind of having on and off um, in our community for about a year or so. And we're talking about the connection between endometriosis, MCAS, dysautonomia, and hypermobility. And something that I really love about this conversation is that we're talking less about the diagnosis of these conditions and kind of what they entail and what they are and more about how to think about these new conditions and how to approach healing without overwhelm and without getting caught up in the weeds because it can be overwhelming when you're like, oh, well, if I don't just have endo and I also have, you know, MKS and dysautonomia and hypermobility, where the hell do I start? It can just feel like yet another thing to deal with. 
So I think this is a really great conversation if you've been wondering whether you have these conditions but you were scared about what that would mean for you so you were just kind of trying to avoid it or you have these conditions already but you just don't know where to start because you're like, wow, I have to learn how to manage new conditions now. In this episode, we discuss the prevalence of MCAS, dysautonomia and hypermobility in the endo community, why these conditions present in people with endo and how they may develop or be triggered in later life. Dr. Jessica Drummond's approach to managing these conditions in the context of endo and how to avoid overwhelm and how to work with Jessica and access her free workshop. So I really hope you guys find this a useful interview and I hope that if you have been suspecting you might have these conditions that this gives you a little bit more confidence and, and hope in what your healing path may look like. Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think it's like the fourth fourth time you've been on. I don't know. I'm losing track. I don't know, but I so appreciate it. I think your community is so engaged in um, a really wide-ranging conversation about endometriosis that it's hard to find in other places. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, you, you've started it, so we wouldn't be here without, without you. So thank you. So... I don't think you need any introductions, but if there's, you know, someone new listening, could you tell us a bit about yourself and the work that you do? Absolutely. So first of all, everyone, excuse my voice. I have what in the UK is known as fresher's flu. And (laughs) in the US, we call it frat flu, which is basically my freshman college daughter came home for fall break and we took care of her and she got us all sick and she went back home to the party. So, um, (laughs) but anyway, yes. So my name is Dr. Jessica Drummond and I have been running the Integrative Women's Health Institute, which is an organization that I founded back in 2009. So for quite some time now, and we do two things. We have, um, a digital clinic that's been focused on helping people with endometriosis and other chronic pelvic pain and chronic conditions in women's health for the past, you know, 15 years or so. And then we've also been educating health and wellness professionals um, on these complex integrative uh, women's health topics for, you know, that whole time as well. We have presence in over 60 countries and have trained several thousand practitioners. So we're really proud of the space that we help practitioners and clients step into, which is really about having a broad view of health and empowering each person to take ownership of their health, but with a lot of support and a lot of wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're the Integrated Women's Health Institute has been invaluable. And actually, I've I've got listeners who I know are interested in training with you. So <laughs> I think that this will be um, an interesting conversation, not just from a patient perspective, but for any potential practitioners to kind of hear the the topics that we that we dive into. So Obviously today, you know, we're here to talk about endometriosis and something that you and I have been talking about quite a lot in our personal conversations and professional conversations are the comorbidities of endometriosis, um, specifically muscle activation syndrome and and kind of the histamine issues that can come with that or associated with that, um, dysautonomia and hypermobility. So 
could you talk to us a little bit? And we've, we've, you know, a lot of the people listening, if they've been following this podcast, we've been talking about it with other doctors. I've done a couple of solo episodes, but we haven't actually had, you know, other than myself, we haven't had an endo specialist come on and talk about it from an endo specific, you know, approach. So it'd be great to hear how common these are, these conditions are, um, maybe even when, you know, when it was brought to your attention and how often you're seeing it. Yeah. So in the last two years or so, I, I published a book in early January of 2020. And then as we all know, shortly thereafter, the world sort of stopped and I had like slowed way down well, stopped actually for about two years to almost fully slowing down my travel schedule where I used to travel all over the world teaching and really had a little more time to make some connections about how endometriosis fits in the broader narrative of complex chronic illness. Because we know endometriosis has some genetic underpinnings, we know endometriosis is a, is a chronic um, in, uh, inflammatory and potentially autoimmune condition, but it has a very wide birth of presentation. Some people literally never know they have endo in their entire life, and it may not even be really activated. Like They may have some very, very small lesions, let's say, if we were to look later on like an autopsy or something like that, but it doesn't affect them at all. Other people have small lesions when, you know, an, uh, an excision surgeon goes in and does the skilled excision surgery, but significant, significant symptoms. And so that's very interesting too, because it's like, well, what is driving those symptoms? And then other people have very extensive endometriosis lesions all over the body, including, you know, life-threatening kinds of situations like lung endometriosis, um, which is, it's it's very rare for endometriosis to be life-threatening, but it, it can be very severe in some cases or very large lesions. Um, and they can have significant symptoms or not so severe symptoms, even with fairly large lesions or multiple lesions in various locations. So I step back and, you know, I also work with people with vulvodynia and people with bladder pain syndrome. And, um, I now, you know, we had many of our patients in 2020 and 2021, um, get COVID and then have, you know, sequela resulting from COVID. And so, and and we now know that COVID activates Epstein-Barr virus. And so it's like, oh, interesting. What did these people already have Epstein-Barr virus? You know, what else is going on? Is there an interaction with mold? So I decided to, in the last two years, as I've worked with patients with endometriosis, take a broader lens and look at them just from a very systematic functional nutrition perspective, which is that we have to optimize each system and because all of them are so integrated. And when you have instability in the immune system, 
for because of the endometriosis, because you've got this chronic um, inflammatory and or immune hyperactivation mm. or both, um, that you know, the endo itself may have been the trigger or the endo might have been the simmering underbelly that then is triggered by a hormonal shift or an overworking situation or, you know, a secondary virus or anything. There's so many things that could irritate the immune system. Um, especially in the, you know, the world that we live in now where there's a lot of environmental toxins and all that. So we have to take a moment and say, okay, the immune system, it, when it is chronically irritable, um, we have this mast cell activation, we, which can trigger other kind of viruses that, and, and infections, things like Lyme, EBV that might've been just sitting quietly, you know, not bothering anybody. Mm-hmm. And then, <clears throat> excuse me. And then something triggers that, then you get this, you know, my original training, as you know, is in physical therapy. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting to put that lens on and say, okay, someone had an underlying genetic and, or, you know, kind of active presentation of endometriosis. That was like layer one. Then their immune system gets irritated by the endometriosis itself or by like any number of you know, 75 other things it could have been from just a stress to a biochemical stress, like an infection or mold or whatever. Then you get this hyper irritability in the immune system. Then you get essentially wobbliness in the system, right? So I know you've talked a lot about MCAS and histamine. One of the things that does is loosens the tight junctions at the level of the small intestine. So then you start being like sensitive to foods or have Mm -hmm. digestive issues or have SIBO or whatever, right? SIFO. And so you get this wobbliness in our barriers, small intestine, possibly the lining of the bladder that hasn't been as well studied, but possibly the lining, you know, the blood brain barrier, which is basically the lining around the brain. So we get this wobbliness and also in our connective tissue, which might also just be a genetic underpinning. So as I begin to look at patients with endometriosis, there are some genetic factors that contribute to endometriosis that are not super well elucidated yet. Most of them have to do with detox pathways and pain um, signaling, but then there's also these genes related to collagen stability that can be, you know, maybe someone doesn't have full on Elos Danlos where they're like super, super bendy, but they have this potential to be a little wobbly. So now we've got wobbly barriers. We've got wobbly joints and connective tissues. Then it's hard structurally to digest optimally. Then you change the composition of the gut microbiome that also feels a little wobbly. Then the nervous system's like, wait a second, why why are we so wobbly? (laughs) What's going on here? (laughs) And so it activates this 
hyperimmune response. So it's a bit of a feed forward cycle. So if you think of all of these potential factors as creating wobbliness and fear in the system, the nervous system will respond with kind of increasing that because it's getting the immune system activated in case there's an issue. So I know this is really complicated, but does that is that helpful, that explanation? It is actually because um, it puts it in uh, like the layers that you've just mentioned, because I think that, um, like I said to you before, <coughs> before we started, I've been kind of piecing this together from a SIBO and endo perspective. Um, and we see, you know, within the SIBO community, we see this trifecta of MCAS, dysautonomia, um, and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or, or hypermobility. Um, but then you also, <laughs> then you also kind of see that trifecta with this endo SIBO IC trifecta. And I've been kind of linking it together, but hearing it in this layered, you know, how one kind of this domino effect is really, really helpful to see how they might progress. Um, and the, when I spoke to Dr. Linda Bluestein, who is a hypermobility um, specialist, and she kind of works within, you know, with MCAS and POPs as well because of that, um, I was talking to her about what you mentioned, that people, they might not be like super bendy, they might not be all the way to Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, but they have like these achy joints and like their joints don't necessarily move in a, you know, the right way. And we were talking about my case and Obviously, as you know, I've been recently diagnosed with MCAS and dysautonomia, but my Biotin score, which is for Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and hypermobility, was quite low. But I get like the worst knee aches and have done since I was like a teenager, basically. Since like estrogen kicked in, I started getting terrible knee aches to the point where I can't really do much cardio. Um, and she was talking about how, well, you know, someone might not have much bendiness, but the amount, the histamine can actually, I'm going to butcher the, what she said, but in short, it was something about it kind of, um, almost like disintegrating some of the collagen and connective tissue there. So mm -hmm. kind of breaking it down so that you just don't have the same level of cushioning. Um, and so that's, it's just really interesting to hear because I think it's quite confusing for people when they're like, but I was never a bendy kid. I never did anything like weird with my body. I wasn't like going into weird positions, but now all of a sudden I've got like these joint issues. And I think it's interesting to hear how you've explained it. And it's certainly, um, I think it connects well into my story. I've, always, I've definitely always had histamine issues all my life, but it was particularly moving into a moldy flat where everything just like went downhill and the dysautonomia and the MCAS kicked in full throttle. So the way that you've presented that, I think makes a lot of sense for sure. Well, and I think what you're saying, what's interesting about the genes. So when I look in the, into the genetic data that I have for some of our patients, it's often heterozygous. So it's just a little bit at yeah. risk of, you know, you don't have to be like a contortionist, you know, in a circus um, or even a ballet dancer where we see a lot of this in like extension, extreme extension. But the genes involved are about 
kind of strengthening uh, collagen matrices. So not doing that as efficiently, not able to do that as efficiently and the breakdown of collagen. And so absolutely. And the way I think of this is like, again, you might not have been like a bendy kid or in ballet or anything like that, but you probably did something. So I've been noticing myself as I, you know, kind of experience a little of this in my body for the, in a slightly different way that, you know, I was a gymnast as a kid, actually the people who have hypermobility syndromes, even if they're not, you know, clear diagnosable EDS are good, really good athletes often. And until it becomes kind of the kryptonite and, Mm. but you'll notice there are these postures that you'll do. So if you often sit with your legs crossed, but you kind of put your hands between your legs, almost like stabilizing yourself all the time. Or I drive with, I often drive with like my left leg propped up on the seat. Um, or if I sit in a chair, like if you're in a class in high school or college, you're not a person who can really sit still in that chair. You're always kind of like, yeah, you're always kind of like putting your leg up and stabilizing yourself. Um, And I, I didn't notice these things until I began to notice them everywhere. Mm. Um, So that it's not about excessive bendiness. And this is why I want to connect in the nervous system. This is what's so important for endo. It's not about excessive bendiness. It's about it's about the fact that the nervous system feels wobbly. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that makes it's just these things that you don't piece together. I mean, I I can't really remember life before my car accident. To be honest, it's it's mm. a strange thing. I sort of have a before and after the car accident, but with all of my kind of. I can't sit still in a chair. Like I'm always fidgeting. Um, I kind of have to adopt like unprofessional postures, like sitting in chairs, like when I used to work for people. Um, Mm -hmm. I kind of just put it down to having broken kind of everything in my lower body, (laughs) you know? Yes, yes. But if I go back, I, you know, I'm actually thinking I was never comfortable in assembly at school. Like I remember mm. the floor was too hard for me. My boyfriend mm. would call me, uh, calls me the princess and the pea because <laughs> there yeah. is like a wrinkle in the sheet underneath me when I'm going to bed. I can't sleep. It hurts me. If I'm yeah. wearing like a t-shirt that rolls up like over like my stomach and onto my ribs whilst I'm asleep, I have backache in the morning where that like kind of fold in my t-shirt had been. It's this, you know, it's this kind of this connect, this soft tissue is not, it's not, um, I don't know what the word is. It's not very resilient. It's very sensitive. Yeah. And so I think to take a little bit of a step back, if you're a person who has a recent endometriosis diagnosis, or you've been dealing with endometriosis for such a long time and you're like, oh, geez, not only do I have endo, Mm. I probably have some toxicity. I probably got, you know, chronic infection. My collagen's breaking down. Like what the heck, you know, this can be, this can feel really daunting. And, you know, the dysautonomia, it has layers to it. That's really uncomfortable. I want to simplify this and tell you that it doesn't have to be overwhelming and scary. So the and and the difference between when you had less 
symptomatic of a life experience and more symptomatic of a life experience, or even if you feel like you've been symptomatic your whole life, the hope for you on the the other side of the bridge of uh, to becoming less symptomatic is that 98% of this is all anchored in the integration or the connection between the immune system and the nervous system. Mm. It's not necessarily a quick fix, but it is about strengthening that wobbly barrier between the nervous system and the digestive and the um, immune system, which often includes the digestive system and musculoskeletal. So if you think about each of us with this kind of complex chronic illness that can either steamroll in the wrong direction, you know, the downward spiral of like, then the nervous system's out of whack, then we have dysautonomia, then we don't move, then we get more breakdown in our collagen, then we don't eat a lot of protein because we don't feel very good and our digestion's not working. And we can absolutely downward spiral this. Mm -hmm. And we can absolutely upward spiral this. And one of the most important things I've learned about complex chronic illness in the last couple of years is that there are, Dr. Um, I think it was Kelly Turner published a book called Radical Remission. And there's another book called Cured by Dr. It also begins with an R and we'll find it and you can put it in the notes. But um, both of these books say almost the exact same thing, that people who recover from complex chronic illness do things that that they they have an orientation towards healing towards health they have a belief in their mind that they are healthy under the layers of stuff they have to clean up there's a foundation of health they are in they're oriented towards health not oriented towards curing endo not oriented towards detoxing mold oriented towards what being healthy looks like. Does that make sense? Does that distinction make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours. So they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in. So you're prepared, even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. So, you know, if I look around my office, my office is a really nice space, but like there's tons of junk in it. It's a complete mess. (laughs) And so... The body is kind of the same thing. The body at its core is healthy, but there's a lot of junk we got to clean up. So changing your nutrition, using herbal medicines and supplementation, really helpful piece of this. There's a variety of ways to do that. There's no perfect like diet for any of this stuff. So we don't need to worry about that or get super attached to it, but we do want to eat well. And, you know, we get into that in our programs, of course. And then there are nutrient supplements and herbs, which is essentially a more concentrated form of food to, to shore up those things that we're missing. 
Um, so we add resilience that way. So it's kind of like, again, for like cleaning out my office, we're like letting go of things that are more inflammatory and, you know, shining things up with some nice, you know, vinegar cleaning supplies or something like that. Right. (laughs) Then it's about, you know, you have that deep belief that there is health there. We just have to clean up to find it. And then we have to recognize that everything is a biochemical message. So we've got to release, you know, suppressed emotions and fear around this, which is why it's very important for me that no one on this call fears mold, fears yeast, fears dysautonomia. We can strengthen this. So let's say hypermobility is part of your issue. Well, there's some really, really simple joint stabilization exercises out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Bridging with a little weight, um, exercises on your hands and knees. We, these are called in physical therapy, closed chain exercises where you're exercising with your, your extremities, your hands and feet touching the ground, um, or your spine and feet or something like that. Rather than like, if you do a bicep curl, that's an open chain exercise. So there's all this work you have to do just to stabilize your core to be able to lift those weights with your arms kind of flailing by your sides. If you do push-ups, that's closed chain. Or if you do bicep curls, but with like a, like a pulley instead of a free weight, that's closed chain because you're anchored to the ground. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So people with this kind of condition have to start their exercise with, you know, kind of a combination of, of weighted closed chain resistance and yoga. So you're doing push-ups, but slow breathing. So you tell you're telling your nervous system, you are safe. This is fine. And you're concurrently rebuilding the collagen. So you're doing it, maybe a pre-workout for you might be a collagen protein shake or a bone broth soup or something like that, mm-hmm. or post-workout. That So you're starting to send messages to your immune and nervous system that you are safe and you are strong. You're anchored to the ground, you're breathing slow. So the last thing someone like this should do is like a ton of cardio exercise and even things like hot flow yoga, because the nervous system needs to keep getting the message that you're anchored to the ground, you're stable, and you can breathe slowly while you're doing that. And you're getting stronger and stronger and stronger because you're building up your collagen with the nourishment. You're eating a combination of minerals, amino acids, you know, peptides, all the things that build collagen And you're doing it in a way that settles the nervous system, doesn't amp it up. So all this stuff where you're grounding yourself and feeling safe in your home, in your relationships, you're deepening your spiritual connection, you're deepening your social support, you're finding little bits of uh, presence and joy in every moment or as many moments as you can stack up. And it's important not to be perfectionistic about this because it's about, again, turning in the direction of nourishing yourself versus, you know, doing, oh, am I doing this right? Am I doing it wrong? You know, there's no need to get attached to that. But if 
when you start to fall down the spiral of the mold is causing this and then the endo is causing this and then the hypermobility is causing this, that's what I call death by functional medicine. <laughs> the opposite though, as, as the person who wrote the book cured, who will find his name, um, is what's known as the upward spiral. And so notice I did not say a straight up arrow. So there mm. are days you're not always going to feel great. Like you might be detoxing something and do it a little too aggressively, have a Herx experience, you know, need to buffer that a little bit, or, you know, you might get sick or you might need an endo surgery or, you know, you might get your period or whatever it is. And you're going to have some days where you don't feel amazing or hours or weeks, and then it's going to get right back. You know, the spiral is kind of swings down and then it swings up. But the overall arc of it is up as we keep pouring into the system to make it feel more grounded, more stable, and more resilient. And if we, every medic, you know, every medication, every supplement, every surgery, every movement that we do, every thought, every emotional release is, is in the direction of grounded, safe stability and resilience on all levels, right? On the level mm -hmm. of your digestive system, on the level of your nervous system, on the level of your musculoskeletal system, on the level of your emotions, you begin to, to, to just basically ride that up upwards spiral. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it can be very easy to, um, if someone feels like they're down in the trenches, like they've fallen down a ditch to suddenly think they're back at, you know, the, the bottom of the mountain. But if you kind of zoomed out, okay, they might have fallen down a little bit of a ditch, but they're still like halfway up the mountain, you know? And I think it's yes. quite easy when you've fallen, you've fallen down a bit to think that you've just gone all the way down. Um, but it, yes. it, it doesn't remove the fact that like last week you had a really good day or like the last period was really good. Um, so that's something that I, I'm almost trying to work with my clients to remind them like this bad day doesn't cancel out that good day. Yes. Like, and know? it takes a lot of support to do this because I kind of feel like it's, it's, it's a little bit your life's work of taking care of your body mm -hmm. and people who have complex chronic illness are often, you know, people that have some genetic vulnerability, which is probably everyone. And then they have some also like life triggers, you know, whatever that may be, big car wreck, whatever. And so to take care of your own body is not really something we're ever taught and so it becomes a practice that requires patience over the long term. You can feel very, very, very well much of the time and, and live with a complex chronic illness. You can feel very, very, very well much of the time and not feel great every single day and not have a complex chronic illness. So one thing mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm constantly kind of 
dismantling in my clients and our, especially people in our group program, because there's a lot of, you know, well, what if I can't do everything that you recommend? I don't have enough time. I don't have enough financial resources. You know, I don't have enough support. That is absolutely fine because they're like, oh, but then I did this and I woke up in the morning and I didn't feel that well. And, you know, I went to a wedding and I had a little cake and, you know, I stayed up too late and I, I didn't perfectly follow my plan. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, like you said, that doesn't cancel out the progress we've made. Also look around at the wedding breakfast. Does everyone there feel great? Or are a few <laughs> people hungover or, you know, yeah. tired just because, you know, I think we sometimes forget when we live in a world of, I have a complex chronic illness and there's some level of identification with that, that isn't bad, but it can limit our ability to see that everyone is not healthy all the time. Mm, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. And so the less attached we are to being perfectionistic about it, the easier it is to start hopping on that upward spiral and flowing with it, knowing that there are going to be some down moments, down hours, down days. And, but the arc of it is overall positive. Mm -hmm. Um, and that there are so many things you can do with good support you can tease out the things that are for you the most important or the biggest needle movers and then just let go of having to do everything because that in and of itself, it's like the medicine becomes worse than the disease, right? Absolutely. And if people are getting really stressed about what they're trying to fit in to their, their healing you know, routine that they've created, then it's just going to make the nervous system feel more unsafe, which is the opposite of what, you know, what we're trying to do. Yeah. So I am aware that we need to wrap up in a, in a minute, but I wanted to ask like a, a quick question without us diving too far into it just because of time. But um, from a dysautonomia perspective, um, we have talked a lot about hypermobility and MCAS, MCAS in the past, but not so much about dysautonomia. And typically when people think about dysautonomia or POTS, which is a very common one, people think about it might be quite severe. So people faint when they stand up um, or it's just a bit of dizziness. Um, it can cause feelings of a race in heart, palpitations, but there are some more like subtle um or just less obvious symptoms and I wondered what you you kind of classify as the symptoms of dysautonomia and what you see with your, your with your patients yeah one of the more common subtle ones is um challenges with staying asleep yeah. so if you <laughs> I know wake, that one so well yes so if you like you're waking up from every dream it's like your nervous system is getting rocked and it's changing your breathing or your heart rate pattern and that's waking you up um what else uh, i also think it it's a it with dysautonomia it's a challenge to settle your nervous system into your autonomic nervous system into ventral vagus activation, which is when we're in our like calm, serene state. Mm -hmm. So it's very helpful to do a lot of vagus nerve toning strategies through the day. Um, 
and there's lots of things, you know, Qigong and Vegas massage and breath work strategies are some that come to mind. So sleep, so sleep, anxiety, mm. um, dizziness. Also, the other thing that happens a lot is there's this challenging intersection between like if you have SIBO and so you're dealing with bloating or constipation or diarrhea that that can trigger some of these sort of cardiovascular symptoms. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's what can be quite confusing about all of these conditions is that, well, histamine can cause a race in heart and palpitations, but so can dysautonomia. So you're wondering, yeah. like, are they both, you know, are they both present or is one fueling the other? And I'm just conscious of time, but for anyone who is interested in you know, finding more out about this or the work that you do or the um, kind of process of healing that you take people on. How can people work with you and find out more about what you do? Yes. The next step is we are hosting a workshop. If you can't attend live or if it's already happened, we do have a recording available for you. Um, and we have a link for you, Jessica, that you can include with this, um, you know, this podcast episode and what I'll be doing during that workshop is really walking through a case. So you'll see exactly how we do this, whether you're a person living in a body who you're ready to get on the upward spiral flow. You're like stuck somewhere in the ditch, even <laughs> if you're halfway up, that's fine. Um, or you're a practitioner who wants to be able to help people do that. We're going to teach you how during that workshop. Amazing. Um, and do you have, sorry, I don't know. Did you have the date for that? Yeah. So the live version, the next live version is going to be October 25th, Tuesday. Um, but we do these every couple months and we also have replays available if you're listening to this after that date. Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about this just fascinating topic and bring in, you know, this I think really important perspective that you don't need to do it all and you don't need to go into the weeds with it um this you know this approach of gently softly making your body feel safe making your mind and your soul feel safe i think it's just so important and i hope that that is the the key message that comes out of this conversation today yeah absolutely so that's it thank you so much for listening if you want to find out more about what i do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis as always if you like this show please rate review and or subscribe it really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis 
This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. Thank you.